All right, welcome to Shooting the Shizad. We are pre-recording this episode, but you can hear it Thursday night as you're listening to it right now or any time after that. Um, but yeah, what is the day today? 26th, so you're going to hear it on the 27th, uh, Thursday night after our general training goes down. But here we are on a Wednesday, and uh, how's it going? Well, I'm just getting ready to go actually to... Um do this one commercial job it's on the eastern border of finland right next to russia i'm going to be going up uh tomorrow morning so uh the, the training tomorrow night is going to be done by finnish wrestling veteran stark adder yes so you're going to get some catch wrestling 101 sweet but uh, yeah anyway the thing is that we got all kinds of all kinds of stuff coming down the pike. I'm just getting ready for the summer here. There's there's rumblings of wrestling events taking place now around Europe. Um, I'm not sure if it's that these countries are opening up to the point where after this pandemic horseshit, they're able to uh, they're able to like run domestic shows. I'm not sure about fly-ins. I'm not sure if you know what the policy is as far as flying people in. Right now, what I heard, Dylan is that you've got to pay for your own COVID test, your negative COVID test. And here in Finland, that test, it's, it's, it's 250 euro. Yeah. You know, so if you're flying somewhere, even if the promoter pays your bill, you know, and as far as your, your, your uh, flight ticket puts you up in a hotel and whatnot, you get a wage, but you're paying 250 out of your own pocket just to get cleared to go somewhere because the promoter ain't going to want to pay 250 per guy to fly, to fly somebody in, like extra. Yeah. So the thing is that uh, right now it's a really tricky situation unless unless these countries really do something about it. I'm not sure how that fly-in policy is going to work uh, un- unless things ease up and they have some kind of, like let's say, quota where that if the, the numbers, the COVID numbers are under X per whatever it is, was it per 10,000, per 100,000? Right. You know, so then uh, you're kind of like in the clear, you're in the green zone or whatever they call it. Right. And then there would be no no um, sanctions upon um, getting such a test if you come from a country where it's a green zone. But nonetheless, let's Mm. see what happens this summer. Everybody's holding their breath. Everybody's waiting to get this crap done with. I think everybody's sick and tired. I actually got this one message this past week. A bunch of roadies in Germany who made a huge stink about how they are they have no work, they're completely broke. They took their roadie cases, they went into the town square in the middle of the bit like I don't know what it was a larger city. Yeah. And there were like shit tons of them, thousands of them lined up with their cases and they're all banging the lid. At the yeah. same time, like a huge drum, like jungle drum in the middle of the city, making it like an, an enormous amount of noise uh, just you know, as a protest to get noticed. Mm. Yeah, I mean, like my I come from, you know, in Toronto with the uh, the local um, it's uh, international um, alliance of uh, stage and theater employees, this IOTC thing. And uh, it's over well over 100 year old. Union uh, started in New York City for the entertainment industry and Broadway and all that jazz and just getting the fair fair wages and uh, working conditions for, for those people who actually make those shows happen. 
you know, uh, and it's it's gone into the motion picture, you know, almost every, I think every single kind of like major Hollywood production is going to be uh, using that um, the internationals um, uh, talent and workforce and, and all that. And, you know, uh, politics with unions aside, I think that they're they're a great thing that need to that need to keep happening. And these stagehands, uh, technical employees, you know, um, they they have a skill and uh, basic. A lot of them are unbelievably good at their job. And uh, to get unbelievably good at this type of job, you have to dedicate yourself to it and only to that so that when you pull this job away from them, being, let's say, those guys might have been in their 40s or whatnot, and this is what they've known and done their whole entire lives since they could work, and now what are they going to do? And um, it's their whole livelihood is gone, and I totally... um, feel for them. I got friends, uh, and you'd call them brothers and sisters back home in, in Toronto that are, uh, and have been facing these issues for a while, and they just got to do what they can do. There's some movie stuff happening in Toronto, so there are some people who get lucky enough to get involved with that kind of, those kind of things, but uh, stage productions, theatrical productions, uh, of course, touring rock concerts that are in the uh, big arenas and things like that. They are not happening, and uh, it doesn't look like, at least in Canada, they're going to be happening anytime soon. So there's a lot of people who uh, have mouths to feed and uh, unfortunately aren't equipped with the skills to do other things, um, at least things that can be uh, you know, doing the same for their, uh, for their family as, as uh, being a theatrical stage employee. So... Uh, hopefully things get on on the go, and um, you know I think people really gotta start pushing for for the government and things to start doing something more because uh, what they're doing right now is very slow and tedious, and and it's like behind behind all the proper information. If we're gonna go with the you know official information and all those kind of things, these uh, a lot of the times a lot of these governments they are moving super duper slow and there's no reason there's no um how would you say uh, no wonder that those guys are out there in the streets banging their cases so uh stuff i like to hear and hopefully it sends the proper message and people aren't like just pissed off and annoyed by it that a lot of people tend to misinterpret and and get that way you know what i'm saying i think you know that i don't recall how many people you need to have but you can make a an appeal, right, to your government uh, to change whatever law when you have enough people to that, that just get behind the cause, but you all have to sign the uh, sign the mandate or you know whatever the papers are, get your name out there, um, and I think that people haven't just been active enough in the sense. I just went to do a voiceover job today. And, uh, you know, the guys that were recording me were, were in the music business, mm. right? And they were saying that that as much as they make us think in this country about the lack of live shows, why haven't they made this repeal? Yeah. Note, yeah. Right? Why haven't they, why haven't they, you know, gone out there and vociferously gone after the government mandates? Because mm. you can do that. That's, yeah. that's in the law. You can still, like, you know, make, make a, a huge appeal. 
and uh, you just need to have a, a shit ton of people behind you. But then again, if the music industry is that widespread and there's a lot of families and mouths to feed, you're going to have a lot of wives and a lot of girlfriends and a lot of mums and dads also signing those papers or, you know, putting their name out there. Mm. So, yeah, I don't know. But, yeah, the wrestling business is what it is. It's it's it's, it's in a bit of a funk right now. Uh, you know, Texas and Florida are the lucky ones in the States. Right. It seems like they are two of the exceptions to the rule. Florida has been this way since it all began, like since this pandemic horseshit took place. They have, they've been kind of like the, the special child. They've been given, you know, rite of passage, so to speak, in the middle of all this, whereas everybody else been just locked down. Even Trump, you know, he favored Florida. Mm. Got to have live sports, live entertainment. Florida. There you go. Nobody else, just Florida. Not California. Mm. Not, you know. Now Texas has followed suit. Then again, Texas has always been kind of like doing their own thing, Lone Star State. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's like kind of like the big F you, you know, to everybody else. It's <laughs> yeah. the biggest state out there anyway. But they're, you know, I think they, they've even, even tried to go independent, you know, just to become a, like a nation under themselves, the nation of Texas. Uh, I'm not sure how, that, how that's working out. They used to out. be. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> but they, uh, they're looking to do it again, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it is what it is. Um, NWA's got a, a pay-per-view coming up. It's called uh, When Your Shadows Fall. So nothing to do with the band Shadows Fall, but <laughs> but still, uh, when your shadows fall, it's got a very circus-like carny vibe to the poster. It's 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 a painting, it's yeah. a drawing, a painting. It's just it it doesn't resonate with pro wrestling. Like I don't understand the logic behind uh, the poster and uh, even the name of the event. It just doesn't come across as connecting the dots. Connecting the dots. But be that as it may, um, we have at least the main event announced already. That's going to be Nick Aldis defending the NWA World Championship against Trevor Murdoch, mm. the Texan, Trevor Murdochs. And, and I think we're going to have, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're going to have uh, Camille uh, going up against Thunder Rosa in a rematch. Okay. Right. I, I do believe that's the idea. That's at least on their NWA power broadcast it seems like they've been building towards that and teasing some more dissension there and some some beef uh wouldn't be surprised to see the pope go up against uh uh looking for the name now geez dylan he he wrestled here in finland at uh wrestling opening match uh matt cross matt cross matt cross right um matt cross and the pope for the tv title I wouldn't be surprised to see it happen on this mm. pay-per-view because, uh, you know, they, they faced each other on power and I guess they've kind of ballyhooed that and pushed that, you know, on their on their ad- advertising for power. Uh, the rest of the matches, I got no freaking idea. I got no idea what they got lined up for their next pay-per-view. And it's like I've been looking on the net trying to find out the card and they got hardly diddly do squad announced and it's already on the 6th of June. So it makes no sense. How can you advertise that poorly? How can you not get the word out? And now it's the 26th of May. It just don't make no sense. But this weekend, by the way, folks, on the 29th of May, on Saturday night at 1800, that's 6 p.m., we've got something streaming live on YouTube. And uh, Slam Wrestling Finland is going to be a big part of that. It's called Levely Fight Night. Now, Levely is one of the top 10 uh 
podcasts on YouTube in all of Finland. It's huge. I mean, their numbers are huge here for, for, for you know, our 6 million demographic that we have here um, population-wise. And, uh, yeah, they are in the legitimate top 10. And my co-host here, Dylan Broda, is going to be going up against his uh, arch-nemesis, arch-rival, and uh, slam pro wrestling boot camp uh, alumni, T.T. Suosalo. 15-minute mm. time limit. You guys got 15 minutes on a special fight card, which is otherwise going to be uh, a kickboxing event. Yeah. So you guys are, I heard, was it today, you guys are going to be on right before the main event. Uh-huh. You guys are semi-main. Well, there you go. I feel sorry for the main event, to be honest with you, because... I, th- uh, I, I kind of do, too. Yeah. You know, uh, as pro wrestling is, as pro wrestling does, there's nothing like it, that's for sure. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if their numbers, their ratings numbers, drop dramatically after our match. Um, you know, because nothing against kickboxers, but, uh, well... That's some boring shoes at some of the times, you know, so. I saw some of that in Thailand, by the way, 2009. I was there. Yeah. And I went live to see, like, actual Thai kickboxing. I saw the nastiest knockout in my life Mm. live in that ring. Well, Muay Thai, I think, uh, is something to to behold. I used to train in Muay Thai back in the day in Toronto in the Siam number one gym. I think now it's it's changed to something else, other name, but it's, I think, the same owner still. And it was a uh, Thai guy who was a champion kickboxer running that place. And um, uh, a buddy of mine used to go to, uh, what was it, uh, northern uh, northern Thailand. Um, the name will come to me, Chiang Mai or something like that. And uh, he was training there for a while, had a bunch of pro fights in Thailand. And that... That shit that is exciting. I like I like Muay Thai and uh, with the elbows and knees and uh, things like that. And some of those Muay Thai matches in Thailand, I've seen like where they blindfold themselves. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous, but you know, is it like Jake the Snake against Rick Martel at WrestleMania Six? It's something like that, anyway. But um, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm kickboxing. Definitely, I think I think is a is an interesting sport that's for sure but uh, when it comes to pro wrestling there's nothing like it and uh 15 minute time limit to wrap up that uh suicidal kid um you know i think i did it in somewhere like uh eight or eight to ten minutes last time in a singles competition that was almost one year ago right that's almost one year ago Yeah. yeah almost one year ago so and he's not been at the training hall we i mentioned this uh uh the other day and uh I'm pretty sure I can tie that kid up in a pretzel in about five minutes, and then I'll just leave him sitting there for the next uh, nine minutes, and then I'll then I'll pin him. There you go. That's how it's gonna. That's I, gonna be a boring finish. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's all gonna be up to him. He's gonna take some time to get out of that straight jacket. I'll put him in. That's for sure. Well, yeah, that's uh, coming down. It's gonna be all happening this coming Saturday night. At 1800 Helsinki time, go to Leveli Podcast on YouTube. That's L-E-V-E-L-I Podcast on YouTube.com and earmark that for this coming Saturday. 
We uh, skipped last week, by the way. We didn't have a podcast last week. So we had some scheduling difficulties. And uh, we were supposed to cover WWE's WrestleMania Backlash. Not just Backlash, WrestleMania Backlash. So we're going to do that now. Dylan, did you have a chance to see the show? I did, yeah. That, I uh, I got to start to jog my memory. We just watched uh, the main event over here just before we started the podcast, um, which I thought was a very good main event for WWE. It wasn't very sports entertainment-like until uh, the bell rang at the end. Um, but, you know, we all know that both of those guys, Cesaro and, and Roman Reigns, are, are quite good. Uh, there's no doubt about it. They looked the part. They worked the part. And um, I think, I think that uh, given the the right circumstances and and less uh, chains, you know, less leashes on, as they might say, uh, they can have for sure a killer match. And and they did have a very good match. We were talking about how it was a tad slow to a degree. Like it wasn't. It was a more methodical match where when there was a hold applied, it it lasted for some time. And I think uh, with this modern era of, of wrestling where things are bang, 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 um, it it loses that. They have lost some of that aspect. And, and you have been, not, like everybody, I guess, has been unconsciously trained to um, to want that. As we as you've said before, though, Jake the Snake's, Jake the Snake's Robert, uh, he said the uh, the dopamine rush, that whole jazz. You do a uh, you do a, a backflip, and you get um, the crowd gets that dopamine. Wow, that was crazy. You know, there's no was it was did it make any sense? It's just this uh, you know, wow, that was nuts. But in this match, I thought they worked each like were obviously working a body part, and there felt like there was a proper story. It was in a way old school. I don't know. It, maybe it was a tad too slow for this day and age. Yeah, but, it was. Uh, it was. It was. They were working those holds. Yeah, you know, that's the one thing. Uh, very few people in the business know how to work a hold anymore. So it's nice to see a bit of a throwback. But you're right, Dylan. For this day and age, for pay per view, main event, last show on the card, or last event on the card, not event, last yeah. match on the card. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bit, a bit slow, dragged a bit, um, could have been a bit snappier, had a faster pace. At least they could have sequenced it differently. They could have, mm-hmm. like, thrown in some spurts of different spots and just livened it up. But it, it was what it was, you know. And to be honest, look at Roman Reigns as a heel. Look at all of his matches, literally all of his pay-per-view matches, with the exception of WrestleMania, because that was a three-way. Yeah. All of his singles matches have been pretty plodding, pretty slow, tons of body language, tons of working the moment or working a hold, tons. Yeah. So it's they're doing something... Very reminiscent to the rise of Randy Orton as the legend killer. Do you remember that time, mm. like 2007-ish? Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't particularly watching much, but uh, there was, you know, there was some stuff that I that I tuned into. And I do remember Randy Orton being a big part of that whole thing. Well, it was around the time that I think it was at the Great American Bash in 2007. They did Dusty Rhodes against Randy Orton in this bull rope match. 
Mm. So it was like a special thing for WWE. They, they they don't have bull rope matches. That's a Dusty Road special. Yeah. What they had this bull rope match, and I was thinking to myself around that time I started because of that match in particular. By the way, I started paying attention to Randy Orton's push, hmm. and I saw one nuance starting to play out not just in Randy Orton's matches, but in all the matches on the card, more or less. And that was that everything started to slow down Mm. and they started to work individual body language holds, uh, like really set up the next move that would, you know, the next big move or whatever. A lot of posturing. Yeah, yeah. And before that, you used to have the Eddie Guerrero's and the Chris Benoit's, right? That was like 2004, 2005-ish. Yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, 2006, a bit of a transitional period still in 2006. But t- once 2007 rolled around, the ball began to bounce differently. Hmm. And now I think that with, at least with Roman Reigns and his presentation, like I said, with the exception of WrestleMania this year, that three-way match, which was phenomenal, uh... Roman's matches tend, and they are the last match on the card, they tend to be pretty drawn out. They, they're they going for this very dramatic effect, even his new ring music. Mm. They're going for something like Game of Thrones-ish, yeah. you know, really to push that character presence, being that he's like this tribal chief and this, that, and the other. And I think it's, it's an interesting, uh, I could just say, not just development, but an experiment because they're taking a big chance with their top guy and they're they're banking more on character presentation than on in-ring work with Roman. Mm. That's what it is. Roman is all about, as a heel, he's all about uh, character and about getting across his persona. It's not about his in-ring work anymore. Mm. But I think it's been not about his in-ring work um, on and off. You know, when he was in the feud with Brock Lesnar, those matches were always only Superman punch, spear, suplex, 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 Superman punch, spear, you know. And there, I've seen Roman Reigns. He's capable of so much more, but I guess Brock Lesnar gives what he wants or takes what he wants, so... I don't know, or maybe that's just what people wanted to see. People just wanted to see 55 suplexes in a row, a Superman punch, you know, 12 Superman punches and, a, and 18 spears, you know, in, in a 15-minute, like, match or something like that. I don't know, but here we had, like, a 27-minute main event, which is odd for WWE, but maybe they're going this way. Maybe, like you're saying, the the Roman Reigns match is going to be main event and it's on a pay-per-view and he's going to go close up to 30 minutes anyway or above 20 anyway and um, maybe they could have shaved like five minutes off this match and it would have picked up the pace just enough that it would have still felt dramatic to me but then again I think there I've heard some guys are actually they they feel as it, it's an accomplishment that they went above 25 minutes or something you know and i i get it because that's a long that's a long ass match in, in a lot of ways you know we do these drills those drills take up about 30 seconds and when you're you know when you're just getting going in the in the training 
you do a few of those drills and you're blown up right away. And that's like, you know, equivalent of two minutes out of a match. So. Yeah, the thing is that a lot of people don't realize that, like, Dory Funk Jr., former NWA World Heavyweight Champion back in the 70s, said that pro wrestling is the greatest form of physical exercise that there is, like cardiovascular exercise that there is. And if you really think about it, like, how do you get into ring shape? I mean, you can do all the running you want. You can run stairs. You can jog. You can swim. And I'm not saying none of that helps. I'm saying you can do all that, and it's all good. But nothing prepares you for what we do in the ring. I mean, literally nothing. It's very much akin to interval training. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it comes and goes in spurts. So if you if you can do a spurt for two minutes, you know, anybody who's done uh, just general boxing drills, you know, like uh, sport boxing, um, you know, where you just go and just like fitness boxing, mm. right? And you just bang away at a bag for, let's say, just a heavy bag for, for one to two minutes. Yeah. You know how exhausting that is. It just completely taxes you. You are gassed to the tits. You're, you're sucking air. You cannot breathe. You, your punches have no no weight. They have no, no lead. Uh, and, you know, you just realize how hard this shit is. Mm. That's, like, very much what pro wrestling is, so that if, you know, anybody... When I look at guys like Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit back around 2001, 2002, 2003, 2004, mm. even 2005... You know, and th- there was that spell in the early 2000s, and these guys were machines, mm-hmm. like Angle and, and Benoit, you know, watching these guys work and like tirelessly. Mm. I don't know if they're on speed or what. You know, Dynamite Kid is booked pure dynamite. He said the first time he went 60 minutes, uh, I forget who it was, was it Jake the Snake gave him a yellow jacket in the dressing room, right? Okay. So, and, you know, so basically something very similar to speed. Yeah. And and he said, take this. He said, I got to do 60 minutes tonight. Oh, you do? Okay, take this. Mm-hmm. And he took it. He said his mouth got really dry, but, man, he had the gas to go 60 minutes. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, that's the whole thing is that, is that, you know, when you look at guys that are able to do that, that they're still sharp 30 minutes in, that, you know, that they kept up a good pace. They've, you know, been able to, like, how could you say, you know, get that get get their pacing down yeah and they you know you, so you have these different intervals that you go through in the match but uh if you can get your pacing down you can still be fresh after 30 minutes and hit clean moves mm. take clean bumps like you know nice box like bumps yeah i mean hats off to you if you're in that good condition that you can pull that off hats off to you man yeah there's no doubt about it and um, I got TT for 15 minutes, so let's see. He's uh, out of ring shape, that's for sure. So he's going to be sucking air two minutes in, I can tell you right now. But anyway, we got Sheamus versus Ricochet, and that was a kind of this pre-show uh, deal. Did you did you see that at all? No, but uh, I think I did see the finish. I, I think it was on Instagram. Mm, yeah, well... A lot of people were complaining about this match because it was kind of like an invitational match. Then all of a sudden, Ricochet just popped out and uh, basically Sheamus kicked the shit out of him um, and beat him clean. And this is like Ricochet, one of those guys that a lot of people have 
complained about why don't you use him? Why is he just a job guy right now? You know, the guy can take every single move and probably make everybody look great. And uh, maybe he pigeonholed himself into that position. I don't know if they're going to see something in him later, or is he just going to be that, uh, you know, what would you call him? Like a beautiful job guy who just can make you make, take any, any move on the face of the earth and make it look devastating. Um, but anyway, they said there, you got a locker room full of guys you could job out to Seamus just to give him a guy. But here you go and give him Ricochet and, and give Ricochet another squash. Um, take, takes a squash. So I don't know. I'm, you know, I'm not sure what they're doing, but I think Ricochet is in that position and, Maybe he's in there just because he is that good, but he's not that big. You know what I mean? You got to wonder, though. Like, there, there's a definitive reason why some guys who are super talented, that they have the toolkit uh, to go a lot farther than what their projection is at the time. Uh, you got to wonder why they're being held back. Because this is a case of being held back. Um, now, did he piss in somebody's cornflakes? You know, did he shit where he lives? Uh, is he not friendly with the writing staff? Mm. Um, is he just not big enough to convince Vince McMahon? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, he is rather small. I mean, if you think of his stature. Mm. But the thing is that you can always find a way to use a small guy. Look at Rey Mysterio. Yeah, yeah. Right? But then you come down to other things. Like the promo. Can he cut a good promo? Not that I've seen. Not that I've seen either. Yeah. And there you go. So much of today's business is the walk and talk part of it. Mm. Right? And if you can't talk, if you can't talk business into the building, if you can't make people care about your match, if you can't project a larger-than-life persona that's going to give people something to sink their teeth into, I don't know how you're going to get over by just wrestling moves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, close to there was that situation where um, I think it was uh, Will Ospreay, which we now know has a pretty bad sounding neck injury. Um, I saw some uh, x-ray uh, photo on his Instagram the other day. I'm not I can't read a x-ray, so I'm not sure what's going on there. But uh, anyway, there was a some post, uh, I think, by Seth Rollins that was kind of ribbing at Ricochet, say, or uh, sorry, Will Ospreay, saying about how we got a guy uh, who can do everything you can do, but better, um, you know, so you know, basically just kind of ribbing him on that uh, Ricochet is uh, better than Will Ospreay and WWE's got him. But then again, WWE doesn't use him. And I wonder, in, in a way, like, is WWE giving Ricochet, throwing him a bone by putting him on a pre-show of a... Of a pay per view, does he get any more money that way? I don't. I don't know. I don't know how the pay structure is there right now. Um, is that a good thing that he went on there and got got some exposure, or or is it a bad thing that you know Sheamus, which they're trying to build him up and push him, he's getting a he's getting a squash, uh, a good looking guy like Ricochet in in that way, you know? But um, I don't know. But uh, again, with the Will Osprey situation. He's had to relinquish the title because it looks like he's not um, he's not going to be able to defend it 
at all, uh, at least for a while. But how did he hurt his neck, though? What was that all about? I don't know. So there's no news on where he hurt his neck. It's probably like de- degenerative neck trauma, like over time, where you, you know you're young and you're taking all these different bumps on high on your shoulders, on your upper traps, or on your neck. Oh yeah, okay. Here's the photo. So I'm looking at it, and he's got. It doesn't really give you much a description, but it doesn't uh, doesn't give you any, any description. No, but like whether or not he's got. Yeah, I'm not sure if those are discs or what. It, what is that right there? Anyway, it is what it is. Mm. Or is that the part of the brain? Is that is that his neck or is that the brain? I, I think it's his neck and maybe these uh, black areas here. That's the only thing I can yeah, yeah. think of that these are uh, in some way, shape, or form. Well, there you go, yeah. yeah. Well, nonetheless, yeah. It's uh, never good news when it's about your neck. Uh, in wrestling, the two parts of your body that take the hardest beatings are your neck and your lower back. And I always teach the guys, you know, like, um, when you take your front bumps, even when you take your back bumps, especially though your front bumps, so like front bump meaning if for anybody who doesn't know, uh, when you take a body slam, it's head over heels. That's the kind of bump that is termed to be a front bump, you know, hip toss, that kind of thing, you know, back body drop. Uh, you have got to protect your tailbone. You have got to be able to pop your hips on the fall. And and that means that you're not taking the brunt of the blow on your lower back, and especially not on your tailbone. Um, that said, you have got to also have a very strong neck in our business because when you take these falls, whether it's a front bump or a back bump, back bump being what you take off of clotheslines, off of back elbows, you know, the shoulder tackle off the ropes, whatnot. So you're just falling backwards and taking a spill, uh, throwing the legs out. Now that you need a strong neck for also, for the front and the back bump. You need a very strong neck because that's your supporting structure to make sure that you don't, you don't get whiplash, to make sure that your head doesn't smack the mat. So the two areas of your body that are most under duress in pro wrestling are your lower back, your neck so when you get your neck hurt like will osprey it's always bad news now how old is he what 30 Uh, yeah i gotta check it out he's he can't be all that old he's got to be close to 30 but will osprey to get hurt you know as the iwgp world champion or new japan world champ whatever it is now what's the name of the belt iwgp world heavyweight champ well there you go that that's it to you know he's the top dog in the yard 28 years old. 28 years old. There you go. For him to get hurt at 28 with his neck already compromised, let me tell you this. Look back at Mitsuharu Misawa. Yeah. Go and look at the latter part of Misawa, like from 2000 onward, once Noah started. And look at his neck. He's got to turn his entire upper body to be able to turn his head. That means his shoulders are moving in the direction of his uh, where he's looking, and his neck and his shoulders almost like fused together. That's how stiff his neck was. Uh, so Will Osprey for 28, good luck, bro. That's true. That's true, and I guess, you know, there there's going to be a lot of a lot of these uh, I told you so's coming out of people's mouths, I'm sure, because of his style was considered relatively dangerous and, and all that, but... Um, then again, 
Um, I hope that uh, hope that he gets better soon, and I hope it's not anything that will will impact him too badly in the rest of his pro wrestling career. Because uh, man, that's that's something I guess that uh, every wrestler might even fear. Not just the neck injury idea, but you get the major championship belt. Like some would say, the most prestigious in the world at the moment, the one that means well, you know, now that it's changed at this world heavyweight belt, and a lot of people have a bit of opinions about the design of it. But regardless of the design, if you think about it, even Hulk Hogan has said that the IWGP heavyweight championship belt is the most prestigious prize in pro wrestling. So you get that, and then you defend it, I think, once, and now you you have a neck injury that literally has them strip the title off you because you can't defend it. How does that got to feel, you think? Well, it's got to suck because, I mean, the guy moved to Japan. I mean, Will Ospreay relocated his life to Japan. He moved there, literally, to be their top gaijin. That was the dedication to his job, to that company that he showed that he's willing to pack up and just move there for good. And now, after they gave him the ball to run with, he gets hurt. So I'm sure, you know, when he comes back, if he's able to still go and he's able to get, you know, rehabbed, they're going to use him well. He's not going to get buried or left behind, no. Uh, he's got a lot of stock with that company. He's got a lot of brownie points. Yeah. You know, over the years that have, that have uh, accumulated uh, in his cookie jar. So I think that he'll be okay, you know. But it it says something about today's modern wrestling style. And Will Ospreay, to a large degree, even though he's gotten a lot smarter, in the especially the past few years, uh, still represents the modern wrestling style. And I think it's a very short-sighted... Um, way of doing of doing things i think that as you get older and all of us age we're all getting you know nobody's getting no younger and as you get older if you don't take in a stock that you have some foresight and you look ahead to the how do i want to feel how do i want to be what kind of what kind of physical like level of mobility and health and just well-being do i want to have 10 years from now just ten, just take, or even take five years. But still, I think ten is a better marker. You ask yourself, you see yourself in ten years. Ask, how old am I now? If well, if you're 28, like Will Osprey, you'll be 38 in ten years. How do you want to be in in ten years? How do you want to be walking? Mm. How do you want your neck to feel in ten years? Right, things like this. So that's where you've got to alter your wrestling style. And that's what I was saying about Randy Orton earlier, 2007. Once, once they decided to go with the, the legend killer gimmick and they put all these like different legends against Randy Orton, uh, the thing is that they made Randy slow down. They, it's, it, he was very produced as a talent. You could tell, mm-hmm. right? He was being produced. And they told him to become like that Viper-esque kind of stalker slash slimy, you know, goading... I could just say, you know, that uh, li- you know, lying in wait, kind of ready to pounce, kind of wrestler, mm. uh, and that was his presentation. That was the body language, right? So a lot of drama, a lot of physical storytelling drama, and I think that 
they had to go that way because too many guys were getting hurt. Kurt Angle, before he left WWE, he was a mess. Yeah, yeah. He was a legitimate mess, man. And that was from all them suplexes. I remember a story that Kurt Angle went alongside Chris Benoit to Vince McMahon. Vince was considering banning uh, the German suplex because of the impact that you take on the upper traps and, Mm. you know, the neck. Yeah. And they went and they pleaded with Vince. Vince, don't do it. Yeah. The two guys that had the most issues Mm. went. Can you, it's it's so absurd to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's almost like Test going to Vince McMahon and saying, please, Vince, don't ban chair shots to the head. (laughs) (laughs) It it doesn't make any sense. But that's what they did because their, you know, their go-to was the German suplex, right? Mm -hmm. So don't take away our go-to move. Yeah, right. And, but you have to think longevity-wise. Now, if you're a one-trick pony and neither neither one of those guys were, you know, by that token, I'm sure they could have, like, pulled another move out of the hat gut wrench or something yeah yeah yeah. right but they they chose to want to do that german and vince gave in vince let them have their way well it didn't end up too well for uh benoit Mm. and even if you look at kurt angle now look at the atrophy in his arms the nerve damage from his neck to his arms yeah that man has major damage Uh, when i I was in calgary alberta visiting lance storm i did a, a was it two weeks or so at the, the Storm Wrestling Academy after, you know, being away for, for uh, when Lance trained me back in 2003, oh, no, sorry, back in 93. Uh, so I went, went back in 2006, and I did, you know, just two weeks when yeah. I, while, while I was in Calgary. Nice. Right? And that's when Lance told me, he said that Kurt Angle, back then, 2006, mm. he had 30% strength in one arm and 60% strength in the other. Oh, that's brutal. That was already back then. So yeah. think about the nerve damage now. Just mm-hmm. look look at Kurt Angle's Instagram. Look at his arms. Yeah. The guy's cut. I mean, he's in good shape. Yeah, Don't get yeah. me wrong. Mm-hmm. But his arms are atrophied. And go, then go after you take a look at his uh, modern photos, uh, then go look at a former wrestler called Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, who mm-hmm. got nerve damage in only one arm. Yeah, yeah. In his, in his good arm, in his right arm. And look, compare his right arm to his left arm because he was on the gas, yeah. right? And then compare Kurt Angle to Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, mm. only to his right arm. Yeah, yeah. And look at Kurt's arms, and look at Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff's arm, his right arm, and you'll see the similarity, the same nerve damage. That's scary. Yeah, I almost don't even want to look. But uh, either way, um, yeah, it's interesting Back back in those days, it was just everybody pushed the bar up and up and up and up and up. And I guess there was only, like WWE, when they bought everything, um, back in the, in, was it 2001, uh, they, they, I guess there was only one way to go, and they needed to slow everything down because they were, they were probably looking, well, where could you go from there? And uh, they just needed to, to stop the... Um, well, the the amount of injuries and and unfortunate situations that were happening, but either way, um, what I like about these days, especially with uh, with the actual pro wrestling that's happening, we talked about it before that this kind of comeback of this British style, this catch style, the technical style of wrestling seems to be more appreciated, at least in, in the um, you know, in kind of would you say the underground kind of. Sp- areas where it used to be in the underground areas they wanted 
the uh, balcony dives and the shooting, like double shooting star presses and, and things like that. And of course, I think a lot of those indies do want that kind of stuff still. But there's there, I think, is a bigger appreciation of the technical catch old school style of wrestling that's really snug. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of flesh on flesh contact happening. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm really into right now. And I think a lot of people are jumping on that. And I, I believe in the next five years, that's going to be something that we're going to be seeing in more and more in the mainstream. But uh, that being said, we had the the first actual match on this uh, WrestleMania Backlash card, and it was Rhea Ripley defending against Asuka and Charlotte Flair in this three-way women's title match. What did you think of this? You know, the more that these matches take place, because, like, you've got every pay-per-view just chock full of different types of... Uh, I hate to say it, but it's like they're rehashing what they've done so many years in a row already. It's like the same formats, the same matches, and the same layouts, mm. right? So wh- whoever is agenting these matches is not being very ambitious with the actual, uh, how could you say, the the story output of said match, unless it's maybe like a WrestleMania Right, so if you're looking at the Roman Reigns versus Rand, or was it, no, sorry, Roman Reigns versus Edge versus Daniel Bryan at Mania, that three-way was special. That was done in a very, very convincing manner. It was very non-typical run paint-by-numbers WWE style as a triple threat. Mm. But this ladies' triple threat now at Backlash was very paint-by-numbers. There's After watching it now, I'll be honest with you, Dylan, I don't remember anything about the match. Mm. I look like my like I can remember clearly WrestleMania's that that main event with Roman Reigns, yeah. right? Triple threat. This lady's triple threat for the women's title. Can't remember a thing. And that means something. Mm. I, that's telling you something. And that's not my memory being bad. That's nothing standing out. Yeah. Yeah, to me I thought this is like they just ran out of ideas. I think they have done kind of this match in one way or another too many times in the last few weeks and there wasn't anything to this i i don't know to me it never felt like it got properly going and i felt that uh i guess the the main thing i just felt like this was this i have already seen this and i was like kind of thinking that the it was lackluster there wasn't excitement of anything new and and you know Whereas in the in the main event, you still had the excitement of kind of a new matchup. You had Cesaro in a, in a proper main event on a pay per view, um, and so it it felt like you wanted to see that. You wanted to see that match, but this one you were kind of like, I, at least I was. I was thinking, haven't I already seen this like five times in in two months or something like that? So uh, I was already in like half checked out because uh, I already knew what they're gonna do. See, the thing is this, that back in the territory days, you used to have guys that would be in a territory for, let's say, six months to a year, right? Mm. And you'd do a program. You'd, you'd wrestle every Friday night in the same town, right? You might, maybe you didn't have a TV or anything, but still, like, even up in, up in Oregon, mm. you'd wrestle, like, five, six, seven nights a week, right? Uh, in Texas, you do the same thing. You do the loop. Right, you know, in mid south, you do the loop. In Florida, you do the loop. In the in the northeast, you do the loop. Uh, even the Midwest, you do the loop. AWA, you do the loop. It was it was steady work, and you would do the towns every week. Now the thing is that they would start a story in a town, 
right? Let's say wrestler A versus wrestler B. Let's say it's Mr. X versus Tommy Gilbert, right? Let's just say, just for the sake of conversation. And Mr. X and Tommy Gilbert have a regular wrestling match, and that all of a sudden uh, it ends in a countout, right? Next Friday night, same town. Because they ended in a countout, they're going to do a rematch. It's going to be Tommy Gilbert against Mr. X comeback match, right? Mm. They got to resolve the issue. It wasn't resolved because it got, they got counted out. Okay, well, then they come back, and all of a sudden you get a disqualification this time. Oh, because the guys in the territory, there's only X amount of guys in the territory. Yeah. You got to draw these things out. So they come back the next Friday. Now it's a tag team match, right? Now it's like all of a sudden Buddy has got another friend and he forced the other guy, Mr. X, to get his, you know, or Tommy Gilbert to get a, a partner. And it's like, well, you got counted out last time. You got disqualified the second time. I'll tell you what, how about I make sure I got a friend here who's going to make sure you can't run, you can't hide. And then in that match, you fuck the guy. Fuck him over, right? Fuck finish. Now he's pissed off. Now we're going to settle the score. You come back the next Friday night. Singles match. Now it's it's right down the middle. Now maybe you got a stipulation. Maybe now it's like, now it's there's no disqualification. Now it's, it's, it's a bunkhouse match or something, mm-hmm. right? That's how you used to build programs back in the day. The way you do it is this, though, is that the first time out, you only gave them a tease. You gave them a foretaste of things to come. You didn't give away too much because if you look at like AEW booking, which is so counterproductive now, is that you, they go out for the first time. First time these two teams, these two wrestlers ever faced off and they do 30 minutes, they throw every match in the mm. book out there. You can't do a rematch on that. Yeah, yeah. Or if you do, you'll have to wait for half a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, back in the day, it wasn't like that. You'd go in there for the first, the first match be seven minutes, eight minutes, right? You go, oh, inconsequential finish. You come back the next week. That match goes maybe the same amount of time. Maybe maybe it just goes 10 minutes, mm. right? You're not giving away too much. You're giving giving away enough. You're telling a story. You're getting people invested mm. to the point that they want to see more and more. And then when the blow-off comes, the blow-off might be 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. That's where you don't throw every move that you know in the book. You're, you're, you're like planning ahead. You're thinking ahead, being smart. That's when WWE right now, they're doing these matches with Asuka, with Charlotte Flair, with Rhea Ripley, and it's like, that's why it feels to you, I dare say, that you have seen this match before, is because they've thrown away too many moves. They've given you way too much of their arsenal. In every match that they have, they will do the same moves again and again and again, the same spots again and again and again, the same sequences together, things that are familiar to them again and again and again, and it feels like a repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat. Rinse, wash, repeat. It didn't used to be that way. Mm. That's why nowadays, I dare say that also modern wrestlers can't work like the old timers. Old timers could work because it was their job. It was their livelihood. And you got paid based on the house, how many people were in the building that night. And if you couldn't engage that, uh, that audience the Friday before, how the hell are you going to have them come ba- uh, pay a ticket the next Friday to see you come back in that match? Mm. Yeah, I mean, it almost seems like it's a bit too easy in uh, that how are they, these 40 writers that they got writing for WWE, how are they not seeing the uh, the writings on the wall? But um, anyway, um, 
We got the next match, which uh, I guess was uh, interesting enough. It was Rey Mysterio, Dominic Mysterio. We, you kind of called this one that it was going to be the first ever father-son team to win the titles, uh, tag titles there against uh, Ziggler and Robert Roode. And um, uh, there was a lot of people talking about why, you know, they could have done a, you know, Dominic turn on, on Rey Mysterio and had them battle it out in the, in the Hell in a Cell on Father's Day or something like that, um, which I think it's on Father's Day. I can't remember. But um, either way... Um, I guess it was one of these moment-making situations that, uh, you know, Vince McMahon likes to talk about, that uh, they made this moment of uh, Rey Mysterio and uh, Dominic Mysterio uh, standing tall there with the, or I guess not so tall, but uh, with the belts. And uh, they are the new uh, SmackDown Tag Team Champions. So um, what did you think of this tag team matchup? I thought that it was... Like, let me say this first of all. I'm chagrined with how raw and green uh, Dominic Mysterio came off in this match after his series with Seth Rollins. Now, it speaks volumes of how good Seth Rollins is to carry that kid to the level of matches that he was able to carry him. Because in this one, as good as Robert Roode and as good as Dolph Ziggler are, uh, Dominic Mysterio doesn't look like he can carry the ball. He should not be on pay-per-view. He should not be on TV yet. Mm-hmm. Um, that finishing frog splash was nothing to write home about. That mm-hmm. was that was a pretty damn terrible frog splash, to be honest with you. He came down with his feet together. Yeah, yeah. That's not how you do a frog splash. You want to tribute Eddie Guerrero? you don't do frog splashes with your feet together. You, you just don't do it. Um, and I'm not going to rag on the kid. I'm just saying that his dad, it was a good thing that he carried the bulk of the match because Ray can sell his ass off, and he did. For the majority of that match, the story of Ray getting his ass handed to him by, you know, as an underdog, one man against two, it was a good story mm-hmm. for the most part. Um, but... The finish was pretty clusterfucked because if you think about it this way, now Ray makes the hot tag to Dominic. Dominic comes in and Dominic ends up taking some heat after his dad has taken a freaking long heat just alone. Yeah. That's not how you do these matches. When you when you have one guy handicapped and his partner shows up late to the dance, so to speak, it's go home after he gets tagged in. That's how you do it. That When the crowd is hot, they're waiting for him to finally fucking tag out. And when he does, it's bang, bang, bang. Mm-hmm. Good night, Irene. Now, what they did here was they jerked the curtain. They went right back and forth, back and forth, back to Dominic taking some heat and Ray taking some heat. And then they finally got went got around to the finish. So it's kind of like they, they, they went back and forth and they, they hit the brakes late in the match when they should have just... Put a you know like gone full throttle. So psychologically, that's where this match. If you want to fine tune it, if you want to tweak it, they should have known better. Mm. And I don't know who was agenting once again. I don't know who dictated what you know that they're going to go this way in the match. But that's not that. That's not how you do it. But that said, it was still a pretty good match. Yeah. 
I think the the that frog splash at the end. You're right. It, it, there was something wrong with it, and I don't know why you would go and do it on pay per view, Son of Ray Mysterio, and do it poorly. I mean, if you look at it, that when he got tagged in, he just had one move. Mm. All you had to do, you you had one job. <laughs> you had one job, kid. Yeah, yeah. And I hate to say it, but I mean, it's like. How do you flush? How you're getting the titles? You know you're getting the titles. Mm. How do you flush on your finish? Mm. I don't understand. Yeah, I think they just counted on the the frog splash. That's gonna just you just do a frog splash. Doesn't matter. It's you know tribute to Eddie Guerrero, and uh, everybody forgets if it's good or bad. Doesn't matter. But um, that being said, we got Damian Priest. He defeats the Miz with Morrison in a lumberjack. Match, zombie match, a zomber, zombie jack, a lumber zomb. I don't. How do you say it? This match, this match was was uh, a crossover marketing campaign between Batista's new movie, whatever it's called, and uh, WWE. Supposedly, they paid the movie studio paid WWE big cash uh, to do this angle. So this is this is. Hybrid promotion is what this was. Mm. Yeah, you knew it from the start. It, this is just a cash grab. And uh, to me, this backfired on them hard. I'm pretty sure the the, the movie... Um, oh, what the heck is it called? Of course, of course, it's, it's great movie. Uh, I'll look it up. Yeah, <laughs> great publicity when you can't remember the movie. But I know it got a lot, a lot of negative press. Uh, every single wrestling uh, news outlet hated it. Um, every fan that I have heard, there's a lot of people defending it, saying, well, we all know this is just a movie, uh, you know, plug, so whatever, you know, just stop ragging on it. But come on. Army of the Dead. Army of the Dead. There you go. I heard it's pretty good. Uh, I'm not. I'm not upset with the movie. I'm not even Batista. Apparently, people were tagging him in tweets, and he was like, "Don't talk to me about that. <laughs> I don't have anything to do with it. I didn't even watch the show." He said. So, um, either way, I think it should never have happened, and uh, it was so ridiculous that now you had um, relatively credible uh, wrestling matches up until this point, and then you just basically discredit your entire show uh, off of this one situation where the Miz and Morrison get eaten by zombies at the end. So this was obvious phony baloney, sports entertainment that wasn't even sports. It was just attempt at entertainment, and it did not entertain as far as I'm concerned. I heard that uh, Scotty Too Hotty was one of the zombies. <laughs> No, because look at the zombies, because they had to do spots with the zombies on the outside. Right, right. Right? So some some of them at least were wrestlers. Mm. Uh, but, man, this is not how you do it. No. I, I understand Vince going to Saudi Arabia and getting paid shit tons of money for those Saudi shows for 10 years. I can understand that, right? Mm. He's, a, he's a businessman. I mean, in the coronavirus era, you know, I mean, it's like, you know, we all need some money, Right. Uh, even before the corona thing hit. I mean, that, that Saudi deal was done. But I'm just saying that, okay, so now we, you know, WWE, they need sponsors, and they're going to work with as many paying companies that will fork money over. But there's a way to do things and a way not to do things. 
and this is not the way to do things. Mm. I don't understand what Vince is thinking. I think in his old age, I think that Vince just doesn't care anymore. It's like he realizes that in a way, he's still the untouchable one, right? Tony Khan can, you know, he's he's kind of like looming in the background with the AEW, and, and Tony's getting into a lot of markets, but still he's nowhere near the global threat that Vince is. Mm. Like from top to bottom with all of, you know, like, wasn't it AEW, they got AWTs. What's the company they work with? Pro Wrestling Tees. Yeah, they they work with Pro Wrestling Tees. And no offense to Pro Wrestling Tees, mm. but WWE Shop is run by WWE. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not outsourced. It's not another company that does t-shirts for like multiple other indie wrestlers around the world. Mm. It's only for WWE. Mm -hmm. So like in this way, it's just one small example of how Vince McMahon still is the king of the castle. He is still the king of the hill. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where I think Vince in his old age is getting also maybe just a bit lazy in, in the way that he just doesn't care anymore to the extent that he did care 15 years ago, 20 years ago. Mm. He cared more back then. He, there was more, he had more passion for it. Maybe he's getting old uh, or getting tired in his old age. You know, it's like he just doesn't have the energy to put into it like at that intense level anymore. I don't know. I could be wrong because I don't know Vince personally. I'm just saying that I know that, you know, like old folks, I mean, a lot of my uncles, my dad is old. My, my dad's going to be 83 this summer. Right, I can see as as his energies wane towards the end of his life, I can see that he doesn't have that same drive and the same spark because you get tired. Mm. You got to take a nap. Yeah, yeah. Right, things like this. So, and I see it in a lot of other old people, and and like I said, a lot of my uncles, you know, they're old. So Vince, I think he's just human, like the rest of us. Maybe that's part of it. Could very well be. I think uh, that company right now is driven by money like crazy. And, um, you know, with this match basically uh, being a, a sponsored ad, uh, six, uh, seven-minute ad advertisement for that uh, Army of the Dead movie, and then um, you have them doing a whole bunch of releases and cuts and things like that from their corporate side of things in this past week as well. And uh, so, and they're all... Uh, you know, attested to or, or the reasons being budgetary cuts and redundancies and things like that. So, uh, well, you know, and I'm sure this year is going to be one of their biggest profiting years ever, if not the most, because last year was, and there's just no touring schedule, although they have announced that they're going to be touring again. But um, coming up soon, I guess. Let's see what happens. But uh, we got about uh, just under 10 minutes left. But we got Bianca Belair and Bailey. Uh, Bianca Belair wins the or retains her title anyway, and this is the uh, WWE champ. Uh, sorry, I'm in the I'm the wrong thing. The SmackDown Women's Championship, and um, this one I actually now I've got a brain fart because I don't remember what happened in, in this match. I know the finish, but I don't remember what else went down. I think that overall they did a good job. I think that Bianca is coming into her own, but I think that she needs somebody with more experience to guide her through. Yeah, all right, yeah. so I think that Bailey is the captain here, and uh, I think that they did a good job. Honestly, I think that that Bailey did carry her to a very decent match. Something that like that they can come back from. They can do a rematch, and they will at Hell, Hell in a Cell, I think, mm. um, for the women's title. So um, Bianca's a hell of an athlete. 
moves incredibly well, looks like a million bucks, got a great smile, got a good gimmick because of her hair and that little flappy, flappy dance that she does, that yeah, little yeah. thing to the ring. Um, she's marketable, right? And she is like the new shiny toy right now for Vince McMahon on the, in, in the women's uh, division. So let's hope that she can carry the ball, you know, and uh, she at least she's fresh. She's fresh. Mm. So let's see. What else did we have on this show? We had uh, Bobby Lashley with MVP defeating Braun Strowman and Drew McIntyre in a triple threat. Two triple threats on the card. This one, the men's triple threat now. Uh, nothing to write home about. I, I I just feel that Braun Strowman is dead in the water. Yeah, yeah, totally. He, he's he's like as dead as dead can be. He's They've tried with him in the past. I don't know if his move set is just uninteresting. His power slam even... That finishing power slam of his is not anywhere near to even what David Boy Smith's mm. was back in the day. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing like Dr. Death, Steve Williams, no. right, with the Oklahoma Stampede. Yeah, yeah. That just wasn't good. Um, it's that even as a match, it was it was passable. That that's it. Mm. There's like once again, there's nothing from this match that I recall. Yeah, yeah. Looking back at it. To me, this I think they're doing way too many triple threats, and it, it seems unnecessary because I think a triple threat is another one of these gimmick matches that might not seem gimmick anymore because it happens so often. But to me, there needs to be a big-time reason why you you go down this road, you know, why we had that at WrestleMania, now we have on this two triple threats on this card, and uh, even AEW has this triple threat or what they're going to call it, a three-way dance or whatever you want to do. And um, it's I can kind of see, you know, with AEW, they, they built it up in that way where it sets up this three-way deal. Um, I just think that these are happening way too much. I think that they have proven time and time again that they're very difficult matches to have an actual good one. ECW has, you know, I guess they're one of the, if not the creator of this triple threat, at least yep. the modern way anyway. Even the Fatal 4-Way. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Well, there you go. And I remember being excited watching ECW triple threats and being like, wow, this is cool. i never seen anything like it. And they did it a bunch of times, that's for sure. But for some reason, I was interested in those. And now it's just like it's just like another match. There's like a singles match, a tag match, and a triple threat. And those are like almost considered just regular matches, general run-of-the-mill. But this should be a gimmick for a real purpose. This should be you can't figure it out any other way. you got to do a three-way dance. So... I don't know, and if if you don't got guys who who can pull it off, then to me this this felt like that kind of situation. That it was just kind of there for the sake of being there to try to add something, and I wasn't just wasn't impressed. And I think the 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 elephant in the room there was Braun Strowman being just so uninteresting right now that I just don't see anything with him at the moment. And why would he be in this match? You know, but and then again. I don't know. Are they trying to build him back up? Uh, it's also those camera angles. We were talking about it earlier, that they keep cutting away and, you know, born identity style of camera cuts. And all, to me, it makes the move seem so less impactful. And I know they're going the other way. They're trying to make them more impactful. But 
that kind of that kind of stuff by this match anyway i was exhausted with that the the camera techniques that they're using well that's on kevin dunn yeah so i mean but he's so deep in the WWE infrastructure that he's like Vince's right-hand man. It's, I'm sure that they're not going to be changing that anytime soon, no. so it's unfortunate. But yeah, Strowman does the job to um, the spear by Bobby Lashley, and it keeps the window open for for uh, Drew McIntyre to still pursue Bobby Lashley. But that match, is, it's been seen. I just don't see any fire, any any spark behind it. At this point, I think they just give it a break and just go something like in a different direction with both guys. They'll probably do the hell in the cell. Yeah, probably the hell in the cell. But it's like I just there's nothing there that I'm wait, like that that I'm personally waiting for. Mm. You know, so I'm just there's no bated breath. No, yeah. nothing. Anyway, last match on this show: Ro- Roman Reigns with Paul Heyman uh, and Jimmy Uso um, in his corner uh, against the vastly underrated Cesaro. Mm. Finally, Cesaro gets his big chance, and uh, he makes the best of it, you know, in a very drawn-out, as we already talked about earlier, uh, very drawn-out match, uh, rather plotting, rather slow in most places, but it had some good contact, it uh, had some good wrestling, uh, good sell by both guys, good expression. Um, I guess now at the end, they so they have Cesaro go down to the uh, the front face lock submission where he just passes out, didn't give out, just passed out. He was in it for like over a minute. And and then Seth Rollins comes in and just beats the tar out of Cesaro in the post-match. So I guess it, it was it Hell in the Cell. They're going to have like the, the Cell match between those two guys. Yeah, you'd think. I would assume. But uh, maybe they're going to build towards seth versus uh roman at SummerSlam. then uh, who knows let's see because the thing is they still had one of the usos super kick seth rollins in on a tv match so it's kind of like you know you're you're teasing a heel face turn now mm. but nonetheless this was wrestlemania backlash uh thumbs up thumbs down thumbs in the middle what do you what do you say I gotta give it a thumbs down for having that zombie thing on there. If it if that was just struck off here, I would have give it like a, a tentative thumbs up. You know, it would have been like a quarter thumbs up, I guess. Well, this one for me is a thumbs in the middle. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't bad. It like overall, it it had its moments. It wasn't great. Very meh. Like overall, like the 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 flavor. That's you know the aftertaste. Very meh. Yeah. So, with that said, it's post-WrestleMania. I mean, the big show is done. This yeah. is like, this is not a big pay-per-view. It's it's WrestleMania backlash. It's not WrestleMania. There so, you go. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, tune in this coming Saturday as Levely Podcast presents Levely Fight Night, streaming live on YouTube, 360 camera, 4K it's going to have commentary in the works. 6 p.m. live. Finish time on Saturday, May 29th. This has been Shooting the Shizat for this week. Tune in next week for more Shizat. On behalf of my co-host Dylan Broda, I am the Rebel Starbuck. We catch you next week, everybody.